listening to the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. We sit down with some of the most highly regarded experts in the field of rehab, from physical therapists, athletic trainers, and much more. We dive into what makes them tick and hear about the lessons they have learned along their journey. Come listen to what these experts have to say. And welcome inside to the latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. We have the head athletic trainer and physical therapist for the USA Rugby Men's Sevens, Bobby Gragson. Bobby, welcome in. Thanks, Chase. Nice to be here. All right. Bobby, why don't you give the people a little bit of introduction of who you are and a little bit of background about yourself? Yeah. So uh, my name is Bobby Graxton. Um, as Chase had mentioned, I'm a dual credentialed uh, clinician, so I'm physical therapist and athletic trainer. Um, currently, I work uh, with uh, USA Rugby um, in the uh, men's sevens program, and I also help out a little bit with the women's sevens program. So um, later on, we can have a conversation on what's the difference between sevens and fifteens rugby. So um, uh, anyway, I'm uh, I grew up in Louisiana, in Northwest Louisiana, near Shreveport, Louisiana. Um, I uh, went to uh, Louisiana Tech for undergrad. Um, and I uh, majored there in exercise science and uh, clinical kinesiology. And uh, while I was in school there, um, I actually, uh, uh, strange, strangely enough, uh, got looped into uh, actually uh, cheering in college. So uh, I cheered in college and then uh, I went from Louisiana Tech and uh, decided I wanted to you know, go to physical therapy school. So went on to University of Central Arkansas in uh, Conway, Arkansas. Um, where I completed my doctorate in physical therapy. And then uh, from there, I, uh, you know, got uh, the opportunity to um, run a clinic uh, just outside of Little Rock, Arkansas, an outpatient orthopedic clinic for a few years, where I uh, had the opportunity to also to work with a semi-pro soccer team. Um, and then uh, from there, it's an interesting uh, story we, we, we can elaborate on later, but I uh, went back to school to get my master's in athletic training at Northern Arizona University. Um, had some really good experiences there. And then uh, from there, was lucky enough to have a number of other experiences in professional sport to uh, put me in the position I'm in now um, here in uh, Chula Vista, California. Right. Um, and so, you know, where in your, your journey and your career did you realize that, you know, sports was your passion and what you wanted to do? Was that, you know, during PT school or was that one of the reasons that you went back to go get your athletic training injury? Yeah, yeah, great question. So um, I, I always knew that I wanted to work in uh, sports um, and as a sports physical therapist. Um, little did I know, I was, I was pretty ignorant to really the process of making that a reality. Um, so, you know, thinking that, you know, I, you know uh, being young and naive, I could go to physical therapy school and specialize in sports physical therapy. And um, as you are well aware, Chase, and everybody listening, that um, you have to take a number of other courses, um, maybe things that you may not be interested in, but um, also to, just to help continue, uh, you know, that, that growth for you. But um, I um, got out of physical therapy school, uh, worked in an outpatient orthopedic clinic. And uh, like I said previously, I had the opportunity to work in semi-pro soccer. And I knew at that moment in time, um, you know, from an emergency medical response perspective, my skills were lacking. Um, and, you know, I was heavily obviously dependent on uh, the athletic trainers um, in, in that regard because I didn't have the specialization at that, at that moment in time. Um, so at that time, I realized that I needed to do either a sports residency 
or further my education um, specific to uh, emergency medical response. So I uh, did some research, uh, talked to a number of people, actually took, you know, the the EMR course to uh, apply to uh, sports residency programs. And um, it was actually at that moment in time with some of the course instructors who um, happened to be sports physical therapists and also athletic trainers when it was, uh, you know, at that moment in time, like a certificate degree, right? They were, they were older in their career, so it was a bit easier to make that a reality. Um, talked me into, uh, you know, looking into uh, athletic training programs and um, I did, and uh, yeah, had had the opportunity to uh, to attend Northern Arizona U- University and further my education in emergency medical response and making my dream of working in uh, elite level sports a reality. Uh, so, what was that experience like? You know, you had been working in an outpatient clinic. You said managing a clinic. What was that yeah. that jump like going from you know you've established you think you've established your career and then you're like oh wait I kind of want to go back to school and. You know, one, yeah. take on more debt, but two, also kind of be go back to being a student. Yeah, man, it was uh, <laughs> it was definitely a shock to the system. Um, I, uh, you know, again, went from, you know, to, to be fair, making pretty, pretty decent money um, and having my, you know, career almost, you know, concreted to uprooting everything, quitting my job and uh, starting all over. <laughs> so I, uh, I, uh, I, you know let my, uh, you know, my boss is obviously aware that uh, of my plans. And, uh, uh, I took out, um, everything in my 401k. So I didn't have to, uh, you know, take out student loans to pay for uh, grad school the second go around. Um, you know, went in there and, and, you know, I, I, I was w- well aware that I was probably going to be a bit older than, than everybody else coming into that master's program, but also having much more experience. So, um, with that being said, I think probably, and this was, you know, you know, voiced to me as a concern that, um, you know, that I was going to come in and, you know, probably be a bit, you know, challenging in that regard because some people can be, but I just needed to make sure to really ground myself and be humble um, and be open to learning because um, I, you know, am well aware even to this day that I don't know everything and there's still plenty for me to learn. Um, so um, it was a, Really, really awesome experience, actually, and uh, had the opportunity to uh, kind of liaison with, um, you know, uh, other providers, physical therapists and athletic trainers alike um, that were much older than me and much more experienced than me in the in the, in the you know, on field sports arena to uh, learn from them and uh, just 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 be open and learning. So um, I also had the opportunity to kind of mentor some of my uh, classmates, you know, so when we were in labs and this and that, um, you know, kind of spending a little extra time on whether it was like manual therapy for, you know, soft tissue or this joint mobilization, that joint mobilization, uh, you know, rehab exercise techniques. So it was overall a really, really cool and interesting experience. And, you know, it helped actually reinforce um, some, some things for me. I remember one of the most interesting things was being able to have the opportunity to get back in the donor lab, you know, because I don't know when I was in physical therapy school, I felt like I was drinking out of a fire hydrant when I was in the gross anatomy lab. Right. You know, you're, you're worried about passing this test, this practical. And um, at that time you find yourself, you know, memorizing things and not really being able to, you know, take it in. But, having the opportunity to get back into the, you know, gross anatomy lab after having some clinical experience, 
you know, and getting back in anatomy, that was uh, actually one of the, the, the coolest things I've ever done in my career because it really got to hone my skills and my, my anatomy uh, skills were, um, were definitely heightened with that, with that experience. Yeah. And so I did a little bit of research on you and I saw, you know, during athletic training school um, or shortly thereafter, you had some time with the Broncos. Um, so yeah. obviously you had time working with semi-pro, but what was that like, I guess the difference is, you know, working a semi-pro soccer team to working with, you know, a high, high end NFL team. Yeah, man, it was a really cool experience. So I got me, you know, l- lucky enough to um, have a, actually, you know, I had the summer internship opportunity between my first and second year um, of uh, grad school, the second go around. And uh, that was, that was definitely an experience because uh, again, you having to go in humbled, keep your head down, work hard, you know, because um, everyone there, they've, they've been places that have had experiences and uh, you know, no one, no one, no one cared, you know, what my previous experience was. Um, and I think in that experience, they, you know, they more so for other, the other summer interns, um, you know, really at that time, really didn't care about what your skills were, but wanted to see really if uh, you had what it took to, uh, you know, your work capacity, right, to work in, uh, work in professional sports. So, you know, I was making uh, at that time with that internship, making minimum wage, I think at that time, which was like seven bucks, you know, and I had my clinical doctorate. And, uh, you know, I was feeling uh, Gatorade coolers, I was feeling ice, I was feeling water bottles, I was, you know, doing whatever I needed to do uh, to prove to them that um, I felt like I belonged. Um, and I was uh, lucky enough to get invited back for a, a seasonal um, uh, seasonal position. Um, so after graduation, I went back and I spent the entire season with the Denver Broncos. And that was such an awesome experience. Um, obviously, having the resources at that level, you know, that was, <laughs> that was amazing and definitely impacts the way you, uh, the way you treat and you, you know, handle certain cases, but also more important than that, just having the mentorship of, uh, of the other, you know, full-time providers there, you know, whether it was the, the head athletic trainer, the director of sports medicine, uh, the director of rehab um, was, was top notch. And to this day, um, I'm, I'm so grateful for them because uh, I definitely and, and I could give so many people a shout out, but um, definitely that that opportunity helped provide me and guide me and having the experiences of, uh, I've had since since that occasion. Right. Um, so I kind of want to go into your time now with uh, USA Rugby. So kind of tell us a little bit about how you kind of how I guess kind of how you came upon the opportunity and kind of how you got started with them. Yeah, man. So, uh, like, like I said, I grew up in Louisiana and, uh, if, if anybody, uh, you know, is familiar with the South, it's either, you know, football, baseball, and that's, that's about it, you know? So, um, didn't have really any exposure to rugby until I actually started working as a physical therapist and uh, athletic trainer with the United States Olympic and Paralympic committee. Um, so, um, leading up to, um, Tokyo, um, I, this, you know, so rugby is one of the resident programs here on site in Chula Vista, in addition to, uh, a number of other programs, but, um, they had a number of injuries, um, leading up that, um, they needed some assistance with. So, um, I kind of took over a few cases with them and, uh, you know, we had some success, uh, getting some, uh, pretty important players back out on the pitch and ready for Tokyo. 
Um, so um, after after Tokyo, um, the opportunity came up with uh, you know with USA Rugby, and they asked if that's something that I would be um, interested in. And I think with my my previous background working in football and a contact sport, and um, also working in soccer, it's something that that intrigued me, and I, I thought it was going to be a good opportunity for me to continue to grow um, as a as a sports physical therapist and and clinician. And sure enough. Um, I've grown grown a lot even just since uh, um, starting back in October with USA Rugby because um, you know we travel internationally weeks at a time and uh, with sevens we don't we don't travel with uh, a, a team physician internationally so you can imagine what kind of um, responsibilities and what kind of angst one may feel when you're traveling internationally. Um, and you're the sole medical provider with some support, obviously, from World Rugby. Um, so um, I've, I'm forever thankful to uh, USA Rugby and um, having this experience because um, I've, wow, learned a lot and grown so much. Right. Um, and so you said that you had experience in, you know, football and other contact sports. Uh, but obviously, I, get, I would venture to say rugby is not as popular in the States as, as football. Um, yeah, sorry. So what were what were some of the things that you had to learn about the sport of rugby? Um, because that's one question I always ask is that, you know, when you're working with an athlete and you're unfamiliar with a sport, what are some things that you learn? So for rugby, rugby in particular, what are some of the things that stuck out in particular with the with their po- athletes and population? Yeah. So um, obviously uh, with, with rugby being a contact sport, one may think, you know, like, oh, yeah, the guys and girls are, you know, really, really tough because they're tackling, they're hitting, they're not wearing helmets. Um, so, you know, one may think that, like, oh, you know, concussion, head injuries is going to be uh, a, a big thing in, uh, in rugby. And, you know, and the, the literature would support this, but um, I would say that there's, you know, uh, many less concussions and head injuries in rugby than there are in, like, American football. Uh, just because, got you know, girls and guys aren't playing with uh, essentially, you know, a, a weapon or protection on their head, so they're a bit more cognizant of, you know, their tackling techniques. So um, there's a lot of a lot of time spent um, within the training sessions on tackle technique, um, which I, definitely way more so than there was in my experience at um, high school, junior college, and professional level of uh, of American football. Um, so that, you know, being around that early on, even, and even before Tokyo, when I was, uh, before I was technically an employee with, uh, USA rugby, um, I learned a lot about the sport. And I think too, uh, um, earlier, you know, I, I prefaced the, you know, that, you know, I work in sevens rugby as opposed to 15s rugby. So, um, that's actually a, a pretty big difference as well. Um, so 15s rugby refers to the number of people on the field at any given time. Um, and sevens um, is also referring to the number of people on the field. So um, it's the same size field as um, sevens and fifteens. So one, you know, you would think that sevens obviously is a much more. Um, some people would consider it a much more athletic game um, because you have more space to kind of play around with, right? And it's a faster game. So fifteens is uh, eighty minutes long, two forty-minute halves. And sevens is uh, 14 minutes long, two seven-minute halves. So um, the, the, the work capacity within a much less given period of time is much more in sevens as it is um, in 15. So, you know, from a rehab perspective, 
you have to really think that, you know, which energy systems are being stressed um, more so in, in sevens as opposed to 15s or in American football. You know, the average play in American football, um, I think you'll see some literature that says at any given, given time is from five to seven seconds in duration, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas the, the worst case scenario of a work rate for an athlete in sevens rugby could be two to three minutes without any stoppage time whatsoever. And that is including, you know, um, repeated sprints and, and contact. So, um, you know, being aware of those things while you're in rehab with an athlete um, in, in rugby is, uh, is, is really important. And I think just to, you know, finish this off, um, the medical training, too, in, in rugby is uh, much different than it is in uh, um, most American um, base sports because it again it is an international sport um, so some of the standards that are present in other countries compared to that of the United States are different um, so I, I need to you know with my training and my world rugby training uh, make sure that I'm uh, competent in some things that other clinicians um, that are working in um, primarily American based sports may not be competent or trained in so that's also um, something a bit interesting. What are some of those specific things that are different um, that you have to make sure you're on top of um, USA or rugby compared to, you know, other, other Americanized sports? Yeah. So um, actually uh, we get a lot of training and work in our coursework um, in airway management. Um, so working with MPAs, OPAs, things like that, um, which is something that typically would be, um, the responsibility of like if, you know, EMS was responding to um, an incident on the field. Um, so uh, whether you're, a, you know, a, an athletic trainer or you're a sports physical thera- uh, therapist, right? Um, neither one of those professions get a lot of uh, um, airway management training um, in the United States. But um, for your, you know, traditional physiotherapists in other countries, that is something that um, that they would typically be trained in and uh, expected to be competent in. So um, definitely um, that, that was probably the biggest, biggest uh, shocker for me. Right. Um, so speaking a little bit more about, uh, you know, kind of always improving your skills, what is something that you have done, you know, since joining USA Rugby to kind of keep your sh- skills sharp and make sure that you're on top of your game to be able to best prepare your athletes to get back onto the pitch? Yeah, man. Uh, so uh, biggest thing with me, and I think probably uh, you you know you would agree, Chase is uh, staying up to date with uh, the current evidence and research and literature, um, but also you know staying you know up to date with relevant continuing education. Um, so um, obviously, with rugby being a, a field based sport, you know I've taken a number of courses specific to um, you know functional. Um, functional loading, uh, functional movements. Um, I've taken a number of courses and, uh, you know, manual therapy specific to, um, you know, mobilization with movement, um, uh, things like that. So um, I think uh, making sure that like uh, you're, you're up to date with like probably what's um, the, the gold standard in other sports arenas, you know, um, is, is important. Uh, was important for me to make decisions on where I needed to kind of focus my attention on to 
to be the best clinician I could be in support of these athletes here. Right. Um, so more broad based question, I guess. Uh, so you've been in sports rehab or in rehab in general for, for a while now. So what are yeah. some like characteristics of a good sports PT or a good sports athletic trainer, or obviously just regular athletic trainer? Um, you know, something that makes them stand out, something that, you know, when they're working with patients or working with athletes that it makes, makes you say, wow, I want to, you know, kind of emulate that. Yeah. So I think, uh, obviously this goes without saying, and I, I don't want to be that guy to say this, but I'm going to say it anyways, cause I have to, but being an effective communicator, right. Um, being able to, you know, determine the values and challenges and priorities of the athlete, um, or the, or the patient, I think is paramount, right. Um, if you, if they see that you're actively having those conversations with them to see what their values are and where they want to be and what their goals are. Um, that's that's going to be paramount in, in being successful. Um, I also think, you know, one one of my uh, uh, one of my mentors, uh, Matt Key, he's uh, the director of rehab with the Denver Broncos at the moment. Um, one thing he told me that really, really um, like stuck with me and it's always stuck with me and will forever stick with me is um just knowing that, you know, whether you're in the clinic or you're with an athlete in the, in the athletic training room at that moment in time, when you're with that person and they're dealing with, uh, you know, this, this, this injury or that injury or whatever it may be at that moment in time, that that's their world. That means everything to them, right? To us, that may be the, the 15th patient we've seen in the day, right? Um, and it may just be uh, another another patient, another 30 minute treatment session. You know, I'm trying to get out for the day. But at the at that time, that means everything to that person. And I think it's important to always remember if you take that approach and, you know, you don't get lackadaisical with your with your your thought processes and what your your applicable treatment um, that that'll go a long ways. And the, the, the patients or the athletes will, will, will tell that, you know, you, you really, you really care and you're really thoughtful with your, um, with your process. Yeah. I think that last piece of advice is like absolutely so true because it's so easy to get caught up in, oh man, I'm really behind on my notes today or, oh man, yeah. what's going to be for dinner tonight when it's the last patient. But if you can take that mindset of, you know, this person, all they want in the world right now is to get out of pain, get back onto the field, whatever exactly. it may be. Um, I think having that type of mindset will, you know, help the patient understand it's like, okay, this person is actually invested in me getting better. Yeah, certainly. And I, I, I will be the first to tell you that, especially when I was younger, you know, and definitely when I was working in the outpatient clinic, you know, I, I would definitely at times have that process like, all right, I'm ready for the day to be over. You know, I'm wishing, I'm wishing hours and minutes and days off my life trying to work to the weekend, you know, um, when in reality, I, I needed to really take a step back and uh, think about, um, you know, what what really mattered. And that was the, the patient and the athlete. Right. Um, so, you know, what your official role is head at ATPT for USA Rugby. Um, so kind of talk us like what it's like to be you. So like a day in the life from when you're waking up, um, let's say let's say a game day, like kind of I don't even know what the schedule is for rugby. So kind of walk us through what it would be like, uh, I guess, a home game for you guys. Um, what what it what goes into your day? Yeah, so um, actually, we have some upcoming scrimmages here on Friday. 
Um, and typically what that's going to uh, look like is a very, very early morning for me. So uh, maybe waking up at uh, 4.30, 5 o'clock, uh, making sure I get to the, the offices in the fields in ample time to uh, get things set up um, for the field, whether it's, you know, um, ice, water. Um, also, though, too, to prepare for um, things that may be needed by the visiting team. So um, obviously, um, prior to that, I'm in communication with the visiting medical staff on emergency action plans, uh, medical providers that may be in the area and what resources they're going to have available to them. So getting all that set up before they get here. Um, usually not everyone will be playing or having the opportunity to play because they, they may be injured or restricted in, in some capacity. So just because it's game day um, doesn't mean that we, you know I can just forget about them and they're on their own for that day. So uh, probably you know, at, at 6.30, 7, uh, maybe a little after, having a, a rehab block in which those athletes will come in. Um, and obviously I'll program ahead of time for their rehab and um, make sure that everyone's on the same page and taken care of and getting that done before the other athletes that are going to be available for playing um, or taken care of, whether it's with any manual therapy or any, you know, primer um, techniques and exercises that, that need to happen, including any taping and bracing. Um, so that'll happen. We'll have a match. Uh, let's see, Friday um, at nine, nine o'clock in the morning. Um, so um, I'll, I'll cover that again. Each match for seven typically lasts for 14 minutes. Um, so then um, following that, triaging any injuries that may happen from that, um, from that match, uh, making sure that um, athletes are taken care of and recovering correctly before there's another match, um, probably uh, three, three hours or so following that um, uh, previous match. So that'd be around noon. Um, then uh, same thing, there's going to be another match. Um, probably three to four hours following that one as well. Um, so the, the process just repeats itself. It just turns into a, um, a, a really long day, but that's also a really fun day. Um, one, of my, one of my favorite favorite things about this is, uh, is game day, um, the, the excitement in the locker room, the, the, the process of you know, taping, strapping, getting people ready, um, and then also to the, the luxury you get of maybe having some athletes that have been injured um, where they're getting the opportunity to, to get back into returning to action and uh, getting to see them succeed. So um, it, it turns into be a, a really long day, and that's, you know, without travel, that would be home, right? And typically these tournaments would be back-to-back -back days into which we're playing six games in, uh, in, in two days. So um, it's, it's a lot. It's busy. Um, but it's, uh, it's so much fun, so much fun. <laughs> now, when you're playing three games per day, is it the same squad of seven people or the same teams that are going out there for three games in a row for every day? Yeah, yeah. So typically on the bench, we'll have um, 12, 12 athletes that'll dress out. And within that 12, it can be interchangeable. Um, but a seven, yes, yeah, seven people within that 12 will be expected to compete for six matches um, uh, throughout a, a full weekend. So you can imagine at times it can get a bit hairy um, where if you have a couple of injuries and I tell you what, uh, during, uh, you know, especially with within the current climate and COVID-19, 
there's been a number of times um, where, um, you know, we've been, uh, you know, out of the country and um, whether it's our team or another team, I specifically remember one team um, where uh, they had a number of uh, positive cases on their team um, leading into a, a weekend. And all they had available to them were nine, nine players for the full weekend because of, uh, you know, um, their athletes falling ill. And then, you know, them having an injury um, or two and going into the, you know, they were lucky enough, not lucky enough, good enough, and had, were resilient enough to make the finals of the, of the tournament, which was really impressive. And uh, they were playing the finals uh, match with seven players. So if anything happened to anybody, and people were playing injured, you know, as long as they could protect themselves, um, then it was, it, it calls for a really interesting time, but, um, but it's, uh, again, r- really, really rewarding. And the resiliency of these, uh, athletes playing rugby is, uh, as, as next to none. I've never been around such a group of, of people that are so hardworking and so resilient. So, um, it's, it's definitely, <laughs> definitely interesting. Right. And so I guess rugby is so a unique, such a unique sport in terms of, you know, these people are hitting and tackling each other full, you know, almost close to full speed and they have no protective equipment. And so you said that, you know, they can participate as long as, you know, they can protect themselves. Um, but these people are, you know, wired set. They could probably keep running even if they had their leg cut off. So yeah. as a medical provider, where do you kind of have to draw that line? How do you, I guess, is it just kind of experience and seeing things or, you know, how do you kind of make that decision when it's like this person says they can go because in their head they they think they can go, but in reality they're like this is this is the point medically where you should not go, otherwise we can make things worse. Yeah, man, good, great question. Um, so I definitely have athletes that play. At, you know, I guess some some would uh, consider them probably, you know, probably injured. You know, um, but in in my experience, I think you go back to like you know our evidence-based medicine, right? Um, what, you know, obviously what would the, you know, literature support, which you can kind of throw that one out a little bit out of the window when it, when making these decisions uh, for when someone's ready to play um, in, in that moment, such, you know, so acutely. Um, but, you know, what, what are the values or the preference of the athlete, right? Um, but also to, in my clinical experience or expertise, um, what, what have I seen? And, Ultimately, like, obviously, if there's nothing like majorly structurally wrong, right, um, I'm having good infills on, you know, this ligamentous test, that that test, um, you know, they have, you know, a functional range of motion. Um, they have a functional, they have functional strength. Um, they, they're able to protect themselves, meaning like, uh, you know, their, their, their strength and muscle capacity is strong enough to protect maybe the injured joint. Um you know, bringing them through a battery of uh, functional tests. And this is where maybe I'll, I'll kind of lean on our performance staff staff to um, bring them through like a number of like um, movements that may be incorporated within the, the team warm up prior to, to the match. Right. Um, so there's a, there's a number of factors in play there. Um, but um, ultimately those are probably the, the, the most important factors when determining whether or not an athlete um, should be available or made available to uh, continue competition when there's something that's questionable um, in play. Yeah. I think that's such a, uh, I guess like, you, I think your answer is great because it's kind of ambiguous. It's that gray area and, and rehab that we kind of always talk about. 
Um, so I think that's a you know really good answer that you know it's kind of case by case and you know using that clinical judgment and that athlete um, what they what they their preference and taking that all into consideration. Um, so you talked about how how much fun it is to kind of cover those game days for USA Rugby. Uh, yeah. So what's been your favorite memory so far um, working with USA Rugby? Yeah, man. Um, so uh, God, there's been so many cool experiences. Um, you know, I've been I've been lucky enough to travel the world and visit places I probably never would have had the opportunity to go to if I wasn't working uh, with uh, with USA Rugby. Um, but by far the coolest moment so far probably was our first uh, my first tournament ever traveling with the team uh, back in. Uh, Gosh, what was it? Must have been in November of uh, 2021. We went to Dubai and uh, working my first tournament ever, we made it to the finals uh, where we played uh, the number one team in the world in South Africa. Um, so having that experience and getting to work as a you know healthcare provider in, in a finals match and getting to you know be on the field when the, the national anthem is playing um, and seeing everybody's collectively hard work as a group kind of come to fruition in that moment was uh w w was so awesome because within that group there were a number of athletes that um i had worked with to to get them back from uh you know dealing with uh a long-term injury or post-operative this post-operative that so i think just being in that moment and getting to see that um that collective hard work um as a group um just kind of come together in that moment and see the fruit of that was um, by far the, uh, the coolest moment I, I've had thus far in, in, in my career. Lucky enough to, in my first tournament ever to have that happen. And people gave me a lot of crap for it because that's never <laughs> happens. Right. Like, um, so that was, that was, that was so awesome. So awesome. Yeah. I don't know if you can top that being able to uh, go to the finals on your first time and then, I feel like yeah. you you kind of start to expect that it's like every every time we got to go to the finals because otherwise you know yeah no, that was uh, it was hard to start off that way because uh, it's it's so hard to make it happen right so the fact that it got to happen my, my first tournament was uh, a, a bit surreal and unfortunately it hasn't happened since but um, we have a really strong team and uh, I'm hopeful that we, we we have another tournament coming up at the end of August and then we have uh, it culminates to the World Cup and. Uh, Cape Town, South Africa at the beginning of September. So um, hopefully it can, we can make it happen uh, down in South Africa. That'd be, that'd be awesome. Awesome. Um, last question before we get you out of here. Uh, do you have any advice for any aspiring sports PTs, um, whether they're an undergrad, if they're in PT school, you know, if they're a PT that wants to get more involved in sports, what advice would you have for them? Yeah, man. Um, so um, I've, I've been lucky enough to, I guess just when I when I kind of make myself uh, or made myself vulnerable in the past to uh, you know ask this person a question or ask this person how they got to where they wanted to be, um, you know I've I definitely when I was first getting started reached out to a number of uh, clinicians that maybe had you know some uh, experiences that you know I had aspired one day to to have the opportunity to do and reach out to them to see if maybe they would spend a little time asking or answering some questions for me. And, you know, I reached out to a number of people. Some people got back to me. Uh, some people didn't. 
Um, but for those people that, that did get back to me, you know, I, I owe them so much and, um, you know, in kind of where I am today and having them spent, you know, open, you know, their, their arms and, you know, their, their time to me and answering my questions. So, um, I, I think it being vulnerable in that sense, not being scared to reach out to someone that you think like, oh man, they're big time. They've made it, you know, they, they won't talk to someone like me because I had those thoughts definitely at one time. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, being vigilant in that. And I think too, um, you know, just realizing that, um, people there, there is a, a, a map roadmap for, you know, getting to where you want to be and having these aspirations, right. Getting those information from the people and making sure that when you do have the opportunity and if you're lucky enough to have some of the experiences that, you know, I've had to be willing to, you know, answer those emails, answer those messages on LinkedIn and, uh, be, be a bit of a, a mentor, uh, for people because it, it will, it will come back to you one day and it'll pay off. So, um, I, I would say that's if, if there's one thing that young clinicians can do, um, to try to, you know, get some experiences and open some doors, that would be my, my best advice. Yeah. I think this podcast wouldn't be possible without, you know, reaching out to different people and like just hearing from their experiences. Um, and yep. it's been, it's been made by those different people who are so willing to give, you know, 20 to sometimes up to an hour of their time, just talking about how they've got to the positions they, they have and, you know, giving out free advice, you know, you know, there's a lot of places that are, you know, charging for mentorship and, you know, I'm all for it, make your money, but this is like people giving their like life experiences and what they did exactly. Um, and this is, you know, free information for people that, yeah. you know, want to get into sports PT. So I think that's great advice. Um, and you've been one of those people that have been, you know, so generous with your time and your knowledge. Um, and so I got to, you know, shout, shout out to you and appreciation for, for all of your time that you've given today. Yeah, no, shout out to you, Chase. This is uh, awesome what you're doing, man. It's an awesome platform. And uh, hopefully uh, other people will open up their time uh, and uh, resources to, to, to continue to, to grow this podcast, man. So thank you so much for having me on. All right. Um, with that being said, do you have anything that you'd like to plug before we get you out of here? Uh. I guess the only thing I'd like to plug is uh, everyone tune in uh, to uh, USA Rugby uh, uh, matches. You can They can be found on Peacock. And uh, let's grow the game of rugby. We have some World Cups coming on uh, in the United States at the end of uh, uh, what, uh, 2030 and 2031. So uh, let's, let's grow the game of rugby. It's a great sport. There's great people that work in it. And uh, it's, uh, it's so much fun. So let's, uh, let's grow the game. All right. Um, we will, I'll, I will definitely be tuning in. I love sports of any type. So I'll be tuning into any world cups that I can catch on TV. Um, Bobby, with that being said, this has been the latest episode of the sports rehab experts podcast. Thank you to Bobby Gragston of USA Rugby for coming on and sharing his experiences with us. If you liked what you heard from today's guests and want to hear more from great future guests, Please like and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you're listening.